One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The net would appear to be tightening this morning, ladies and gentlemen. There's talk of more lockdowns, at 10pm curfews for pubs and restaurants, amber alerts for university towns as students return and bans on travel altogether. The Prime Minister says a second total lockdown would be, in his words, completely wrong. And I don't think there's anyone sensible out there that thinks it would be a good idea. But still, there don't seem to be enough moderate voices who are prepared to risk managing Covid better while still allowing most of us to to go about our daily business. Yesterday, there were more people out on the streets. I was over uh, in the West End around the Mayfair area. It seemed a little bit busier uh, than it was the last time I was over there. More people travelling on public transport. But still, there are teachers not turning up for work and school children being sent home because of one or two new infections. The latest uh, outbreak, of course, is up in the northeast of England uh, and in parts of Wales. We're going to be seeing curfews. We're going to be seeing people being told not to travel unless they absolutely have a great excuse. I have no idea what that even means. Today, we'll speak to William Clouston from the Social Democrat Party, the one politician, uh, one political organisation, I should say, that has come out against the way the lockdown uh, is being handled, the way the strategy uh, for us to get out of this is being done. And I agree with William that we need to be a little bit more imaginative, we need to be a little bit more positive, and we need to be a little bit more forward-thinking and proactive rather than jumping about uh, like fireflies every time somebody goes, look over there, there's another infection. Quick, shut it down. Quick, get on with it. Get the fire brigade. I mean, you know, it's nonsense, isn't it? 0344 499 1000. Don't panic, that would be my phrase. We will also be addressing the latest story from the migrant crisis. Nigel Farage was out in the channel again yesterday tracking an overburdened dinghy, which was escorted all the way to British waters by the French Navy and then abandoned despite being in a pretty perilous state. The cargo, 16 Afghan migrants, including four women and two children, came ashore wearing beaming smiles and with thumbs up. They made the front page of the Daily Telegraph. Coming up a bit later on, uh, we'll be hearing from author and commentator Helen Dale on the J.K. Rowling book banning row. She knows a thing or two about artistic censorship back in her home country of Australia. Plus, we've got a very special guest at 11am. So special that we can't even tell you who it is. But you're going to be absolutely flabbergasted when you find out, I can tell you that. It's going to be better than any other guest at any time on any radio station anywhere in the world, I can tell you that. And as ever, uh, we want to hear from you, the voices of reason and common sense. What are you seeing out there? How are the COVID marshals treating you? And how uh, are you going to be heading back to an office anytime soon? 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course... Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.
Now, we blunder around, we stagger about, we try to find a way out of the COVID-19 nightmare, but so far uh, we don't seem to be able to find the door. It seems like the cabinet and the prime minister are sort of walking around inside a, uh, a dark room blindfolded uh, without any idea of where the door even is. Curfews for restaurants and pubs to tackle virus. It says on the front page of the Times, we're going to be having lockdowns locally organised up in the northeast of England, Newcastle, Sunderland, etc. Wales, uh, there's parts of it where you can't leave, parts of it where you can't go. How are we going to find a way out of this? Let's talk to William Clouston from the SDP, the Social Democratic Party, the one party which has come out and basically said, this is not right. We're not doing it right. There must be a better way. William, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Yeah, great to be back. Thanks Thank very you. much indeed for joining us. You do seem to be one of the sole voices of reason on this, William, particularly when it comes to political kind of leadership and political parties. What do you think they're, they're doing wrong? And what do you think they could be doing better? Uh, what they're doing wrong is they're focusing on an attempt to uh, to squash the pandemic, get you know to tackle the virus, and they they're ignoring all the other consequences of their policies. Um, so it's like um, taking into account only one category of mortality, which is what they're doing: uh, proximate uh, deaths from COVID, and forgetting about the huge damage, potential damage from all other categories. I mean, we're talking thirty or forty different categories of human. Misery. Yeah. Um, Carol Secura has made the point about delayed treatments to cancer uh, victims. Um, you've got people with heart difficulties aren't, aren't turning up uh, a hospital to get treated. Children aren't being educated. But the, the thing that I really worry about, Mike, the thing, the thing that I think they're not taking into account is that the economy is an extremely complex system and you can't just switch it off and then switch it back on. Mm. You know, it doesn't it doesn't work like that. What they're doing is is dismantling economic capacity um, through what we call a stop-go policy. They think they can say, right, go ahead, open up, and then suddenly stop. Uh, and it's, it's resulted in a very contradictory set of policies. On the one hand, you've got the government actively persuading people to go back to restaurants and pubs and actually financially inducing them to do so. And I think since... Uh, July, when the pubs and restaurants were reopened, you've had something like half a billion visits, pubs, which is fine. We need to get these industries back. And then all of a sudden in the Northeast, they're threatening curfews and other restrictions. Uh, And we've got 90,000 students going to come back anytime soon. So best of luck trying to police that. Yeah, exactly right. And I mean, surely if you're going to make that uh, decision to do the help out to eat out or eat out to help out scheme, um, you stick with that policy, don't you? Rather than jumping backwards again once you find out that, oh, my goodness me, because I mean, surely they should have expected that if people are going to go out and socialise a little bit more, they're going to be sitting in restaurants, albeit maybe socially distanced, maybe not. You know, there's likely to be an increase in infection. So they should have expected it, shouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, any sensible, I mean, as I say, just think of the figures, Mike, you know, half a billion people, half a, half a billion visits to yeah. pubs and restaurants, um, you, you will have some effect. But I think the Swedes have, 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 are going to be proved right in this pandemic. What they've done is kept uh, their society as open as it can be. Um, you know, people, you know, schools are open. They haven't had a full lockdown ever. And uh, they've tried to treat it sustainably, basically. So if you take that attitude, what you do is you get a set of clear health uh, advice. You get you get clear health advice, basically shield the elderly, um, build obviously build up your medical capacity, which I think has been done now. And remember that the original lockdown 
was the it was hung on the peg it was justified uh because we didn't have capacity well there's no question that the nhs has capacity now um and 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 so what you've got to do is prioritize the basics get some clear messaging across shield the, the elderly practice social distancing but you can't um have this approach where you have uncertainty and blight hanging over businesses uh that at any stage could be closed down what they don't realize is when shutters go go down on shops and restaurants and pubs quite often they won't reopen mm. and that's the real risk i think that's what they're they're forgetting well that is what they're forgetting and also every time they announce that there's a problem people become more cautious and so people then say instead of going out and doing what they thought they would do this weekend they decide actually you know what we're not going to do it because we're not sure whether it's safe and so they're kind of sending a mixed message on that as well rather than they won't tell us what a lot of scientists are telling us which is that the disease seems to be uh, less strong and less virulent than it was that it's infecting as many people as it did but it doesn't seem to be uh, affecting them in such as a bad way and so not so many people are going into hospital you know but nobody's absolutely certain because they won't say that no, I mean, the, 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 the theory behind it's very important. I, I think um, there was a, a great piece in The Standard the other day by Freddie Sayers, who analysed the Swedish um, example. And uh, he makes the point that, in, in fact, lockdowns... I mean, Sage made the point that lockdowns delay mortality rather than prevent it, if, if a pandemic is... if the virus is, is endemic, if it's out there. Um, so lockdowns may actually basically be extending rather than solving the crisis and as i say i mean globally i think I, i'm very very concerned all of the previous economic crises we've had certainly in the last 30 years you have the latin american debt crisis but it was only latin america and then you had the asian debt price crisis but it was only uh, asia even the gfc in 2008 uh, um really was centered around uh, 11 economies and china kept the whole uh, global economy going mm. what we've got now is literally all engines down and I, I was chatting to rod little about this rod's always been quite a, a sort of lockdown he's been in favor of lockdown we yeah. very cautious approach and actually as a party we did not uh pretty much didn't criticize the government in the first couple of months because it was it was seen as a sort of national emergency where we should all rally round. but the the time comes when you, you've got to speak up on on, on what you think is is, is a mistake and I think what they're not thinking about is this, this, this potential global depression which we're headed to if they're not careful. And I said to Rod, look, yes, you've got 65% of the public in some surveys support the government's approach, but the, the, the price hasn't been paid yet. I mean, there's been large prices paid. But what, what's, what's the view in next Easter? Mm. We've got, you know, um, you know, unemployment at 10% and right. the world economy is being just destroyed. So in a way, the bill hasn't come in yet. You, the government, as I say, they're only looking at one side of the tennis net. They're not looking at many, many other categories um, of, 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 of mortality and pain. Mm. Well, this is it. And I don't think we'll have to wait till next Easter. I think come the end of the furlough for a lot of people at the end of October, that will be the first kind of um, you know major milestone, if you like, which is why I believe uh, there seems to be more people out and about on the streets. I mean, parts of London now are beginning to look almost normal. I know that the trains are still not quite as busy as they were, but I was on a bus yesterday, which was certainly as busy as it used to be. Um, and I think people will be eventually forced back into the working sort of scenario because simply the, the free money is not there anymore. Yeah, I, the free money thing, Mike, is a, is a sort of phony war. Uh, and they know it. They know it's in the Treasury. They can't 
um, maintain that level of uh, fiscal support mm. indefinitely. So it's a bit like, you know, I mean, I, I support the, 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 the basic approach the government's taken. You've got to keep things going, but you will not keep things going if you don't have a sustainable approach. And stop go is about pretty much the worst approach you could have. Apart from anything, Mike, it confuses the public. At any one time, uh, if you ask, the, even some local policymakers, you say, okay, what, what's, the, what's the particular rule now? And they don't know, and it's partly because the government changes it on a daily basis. I mean, that is no way to go. It's no way to run things. And as I say, I, I'm, I'm very concerned about the, the bigger set of costs elsewhere. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Because in the end, most of the businesses which have kind of limped back into life, particularly in the hospitality sector, are literally hanging on for grim life, you know, and if they have to sort of see another falling off of, of business, I'm not sure many of them will actually make it through. They're so small businesses are so uh, vulnerable uh, to, to bankruptcy and insolvency. Literally, what, what people have got to understand is, in a small business, if you ha if you if you reduce turnover, most small businesses only make profits of five to ten percent. If you reduce turnover by 20, 30, 40 percent, and sometimes it's been more, um, literally you're insolvent. You know you, can, you you will really really struggle. And as I say, the shutters will go down, the tax base will be decimated. I mean, I was in London uh, earlier this week for the second time since March. Yeah, it's true that the the inner suburbs, you know, some of those are are reasonably lively, but the city is still a ghost town and i can't see unless unless there's, there's there's greater commitment from the government on getting people back to work and encouraging uh things to start up again literally you, you know by I, I think by 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 early next year um you know there are some chickens going to come home to roost uh, uh, and and that's that's the real price right. uh, that you get from the stop go policy exactly right and as far as your kind of arrival at this new policy of your own as as, as the sdp uh, saying that this is not the right strategy i mean what can you do with that i mean obviously you're a, you're a small party um you don't have a great deal of representation however i think you sort of punch above your weight we'd like to get you on from time to time because you speak a lot of sense and we're quite in favor of what it is that you say um mm. but can you cut through anywhere though I think we, I mean, we are a small party, but I think uh, in the battle of ideas, uh, we're much stronger than our size. Yeah. Uh, and I think we do influence people. I mean, you know, um, what we publish on SDP Talk and the, you know, the interesting articles and advice we, we give, I think is, is sound. And I think people are crying out for something different. Oh, I mean, sure, what, yeah. the, whole, the whole point, the whole reason the SDP is uh, resurgent is that you look across the landscape now and voters go into polling booths um, and have just a rotten choice and they won't get a, a decent choice, a sensible sort of patriotic middle of the road party to vote for unless you build it. So we're just going to continue doing that. But, yeah. I, you know, I, Mike, we are, I think you'd be surprised, uh, you know, a lot of, we've, we have a reasonable uh, following even in the government, actually. Yes. No, listen, I, I'm not suggesting you, you wouldn't have. I'm just asking what you can do to influence them, really, because that would, I think that's what a lot of people who listen to my show and watch my show would like to see, because a lot of them will be in full agreement with you, um, you know, because we do have a split in the country of those people, many of whom are still in the teaching profession, I'm sad to say, uh, who think that it's too dangerous to go out. Uh, I would say some of them using it as an excuse not to go back to work because they don't have to. Um, mm. And those of us who really are worried about the fact that the, the economy needs to be given a massive boost by us it does but it's and, it, and i think what i would say the message i would say is that johnson needs to be more confident probably in his own instincts yeah 
you know, I think he, uh, by I mean, the, look, Mike, the, the, the national lockdown was a one-off, must be a one-off. People won't accept that again. And actually, I think you'd get to the stage where people would simply wouldn't observe it. Mm. What they need to do is to stop the flim-flam and the stop-go, get a sustainable, you know, give people confidence that if you shield vulnerable people and you practice social distancing everywhere you can, mm. and you get the basics right, like washing your hands, and be considerate, then if those things are in place, you've got to keep things going. Because yeah. the cost, as I say, I'm repeating myself, but the, the cost of not doing so, they're not figuring properly. They're no. not. And, that and also, come. you look at the individual kind of uh, sort of decision making, like the rule of six, like a 10 p.m. curfew. You know, I mean, what's it for? I don't get it. And I know that, you know, there are people who say, well, of course, it's very straightforward. It means no more than six people, and you have to go home by 10 o'clock. Yeah, but that doesn't work, does it? It, Mike, it isn't straightforward now, is it? Because um, the Justice Secretary says report your neighbours, mm. which is pretty... I mean, you mentioned that film, The Lives of Others, the, the other day, yeah. you know, wonderful film, and yeah. we're not... should not become a snitching, uh, you know, society. No. This is wrong, you know. And we're not... We have a series of embedded rights in this country which people can't give up, and they can't... And it can't be given up in a pandemic. And this, this idea that you have to snitch... But in any case, that, they can't even get that right, Mike, because the, then the prime minister says, well, you, you won't snitch unless you've got sort of an animal house type party going on. <laughs> but then we don't know. I mean, how, how on earth can people that they need to just the, the simple messages, get the simple messages right, yeah. reopen the economy and let for heaven's sake, let's get this economy moving again. Yeah, absolutely. William, thank you very much indeed for joining us. William Clouston there, leader of the Social Democratic Party. And listen, you know, uh, by all means, uh, look into what it is that that party stands for. Look into what it is that they uh, talk about, because there is no question in my mind uh, a need for some other kind of political party uh, that can offer some kind uh, of different approach to different ways of doing politics because the Labour Party let's face it is a busted flush you know run by a guy called Sir Keir Starmer uh, who has been in self-isolation for the last few days apparently he's going to come out of it today whoop-de-doo I can't wait to see what he's got to say for himself Angela Rayner who I thought was going to be a bit of a firebrand yesterday turned out to be a bit of a damp squib as it as it was and uh, you know if you don't like what the Tories are now doing to the Tory party where are you supposed to go? And maybe the SDP could produce the answer to that. Certainly when it comes to lockdown policy and when it comes to the way uh, that we should be getting out of this pandemic problem. Do you know what? They've got a better idea than this government has. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, the front page of the Daily Telegraph today uh, has a picture of some arrivals uh, from a migrant dinghy that was spotted in the channel uh, by Nigel Farage and a couple of other journalists as well who were down there yesterday. Uh, it, was, uh, it was very, very heavily uh, overweight, if you like. It had 16 people on it, all from the Afghan uh, nation. Uh, four women, two children. Uh, the rest were all men. Uh, it was basically escorted into British waters by a French Navy boat. And instead of taking one look at the boat, which anybody normal would have done, to see that it was taking on water, to see that it was in a lot of trouble, to see that it might actually be not far off sinking. They basically abandoned it as soon as they got it into British waters. And as far as uh, 
everybody who was watching it could see there were no border force boats around there were no british navy boats around or lifeguards uh, or uh, members of the rnli uh, who would normally be rescuing them so it's very clear it seems to me uh, and it seems to those who saw what went on that the french navy is now engaged quite frankly in uh, helping people come to the british part of the english channel and then just leaving them there instead of taking them back to france there's a bit of that going on but let's talk to sir john hayes uh, who is of course conservative mp uh, for south holland and the deepings also uh, a member of the common sense group in parliament he wrote a letter uh, only last week i think or the week before to pretty patel the home secretary about this very subject so john a very good morning to you welcome back morning nice to speak again indeed yeah. thank you very much again for joining us what do you make of this story because it would appear um i know that there is some work being done to send some people back and to stop some boats from coming but in this particular case uh, the footage clearly shows a boat in trouble a dinghy that looks as if it's about to sink taking on a lot of water when the french navy literally helping it into british waters and then scarpering absolutely and uh, you're right uh, the home secretary sent back some illegal migrants this week actually yeah. and uh, that i know that's part of an ongoing campaign to to send people back who've arrived illegally mm. but actually the french have got to cooperate the the uh the outrage really of both of them escorting uh dinghies into our waters and then as you said abandoning them so there's both a uh, a care issue here because whatever you know, these may be illegal, legal migrants, they're human beings. Yeah. And the idea of them being drowned in the middle of the sea uh, is not is, is an outrage. And so I, I am hoping that the Home Secretary, I know she'll be as uh, shocked as you are and I am. Mm. And I'm hoping the Home Secretary will make immediate contact with her French counterpart, say that this is wholly unacceptable. This is not in the spirit of the cooperation they're supposed to be giving. Um, and they've been found bound, out bound to rights, haven't yes. they? Well, they really um, have. And you'd have to say this is clearly going on a lot more, perhaps, than people realised. And it's all very well, you know, for the French to say, well, of course, we are cooperating. We are stopping some uh, people from leaving France and we are bringing some people mm. back to France. But in this case, mm. um, there's no justification for what they were doing. No, exactly. I mean, you know that my argument, and as, as you saw, I'm chairman of the Common Sense Group, our argument throughout has been you've got to deal with some of the pool factors. Mm. You know, why people are coming. Uh, and they're coming to Britain, as you know, because unfortunately our asylum system is being gamed uh, by people traffickers and, and dodgy kind of left-wing lawyers mm. who are encouraging them to make vexatious claims. Uh, so we've got to deal with that. But we've also got to deal with... Uh, the French side of the channel. Yeah. Even if we adjust what we do on our side, and you know, I know that legislation would help, and I know the Home Secretary is very keen to pursue that, uh, it, it, that wouldn't stop the fact that if the French are actually launching boats or escorting boats across, they're still going to arrive. Mm. So um, we've got to get the French to operate, uh, and I think we've got to get we've got to get tough. Yes, and, um, I know no, we've been talking no about reason. this for, for for a long time, Sir John. I mean, the, the, the Home Office yeah. has been talking about being tough and getting tough and changing the asylum rules and all of that. Um, I know it's mm. a slow process, but they need to look as if they're doing more than they're doing, I think. I think so. I mean, the, the as I said, the uh, I don't think you've ever had a Home Secretary uh, that's more uh, determined on this subject than the current one, and I know ministers are too. They, they do need the backing of Parliament uh, because we'll need to get a bill through the House. They need the backing of government. I've asked to see the Prime Minister, actually, with my group, uh, to make that very point, because we're going to say to the uh, to the people at the top of the government, 
Um, but this has to become uh, a key priority. Of course, we've got issues with COVID and we're negotiating our way out of the dreadful European Union at the moment, aren't we? Mm. I appreciate there are other issues going on here, but the public see people coming across the channel with what you've described today, the French aiding and abetting them. And they say, well, we voted to take back control, and this doesn't look like taking control to us. So I know that uh, in supporting the Home Secretary and the government to get this through, they'll have a lot of support from Conservative colleagues. Yes, well, they would if they could get something done. The other story we covered yesterday, Sir John, I'd be interested in your view on, um, it seems as though there's now a move from the Home Office's point of view to put asylum seekers into uh, former army barracks rather than uh, hotels run by Serco. Um, I don't know whether that's a, a positive policy. Uh, we spoke to the council leader at Folkestone who wasn't too happy about it because he didn't get much notice that they were going to be having 400 migrants, mostly young males, put up in this uh, barracks, which is not particularly secure in the middle of a housing estate. Um, is this, as far as you know, a new policy to move them out of the hotels and into barracks? Well, um I read the report as you did, um, and uh, I'm not going to comment on the particularity of Folkestone because I don't know that particular. Yeah, but location, it's not just in. We happen to do wanna... Folkestone, but but it's happening in lots yeah, of other locations yeah. in Britain as well. Precisely. So, so I'm, I, I, what I meant was, I'm not going to contradict the council leader. He knows his patch better than I do. Yeah. But as a principle, I think it's a good idea. Yeah. If we've got redundant public sector buildings, uh, uh, rather than putting up people in you know, the sort of hotels that many of my decisions will be able to afford to go to. Right. Um, why should they see the government paying out money to put people who've arrived here illegally in posh hotels that they wouldn't be able to afford to go to? Mm. That seems to me to be quite unfair. No, I think in so, principle so it's a good I, idea, providing they're, in places, idea yeah. uh, providing they're in places which are relatively secure. Yes, I think there's three things there, aren't there? There's, there's making sure they're secure... They're making sure that the local community is involved. The council do know and that, um, you know, uh, we're not causing more problems than we're solving. Um, and there's also the issue of making sure they're appropriate. But my view about that is, you know, if they're good enough for those who serve Her Majesty uh, in the armed services, they're, they're, they're good enough for the people who are arriving on our shores. You know, so there's no issue about... Uh, about quality there, or there shouldn't be. Um, so, yeah, I think it is a good idea to use these public buildings. Um, uh, and, you know, I applaud the Home Office for, for looking at that. Right. And as far as your kind of progress with the Home Secretary and indeed with Boris Johnson, um, what are you hoping mm. for next? Well, I think uh, absolutely, as you implied, that we uh, move ahead with greater alacrity in prioritising uh, immigration and asylum generally but the migrant crossings in particular. The two things are not actually separable because once we get a piece of primary legislation that, that uh, gets our asylum system into the place it should be, fixes the broken system, prevents the vexatious claims, stops the gaming of the system, uh, then, then the public will know that, that we're serious about taking back control of immigration. Yeah. Of course, all countries have people coming and leaving. You know, we're always going to have a degree of migration, immigration and emigration. That's just the nature of what uh, sophisticated countries are like. But the key thing is that we should decide who comes and why uh, and when. Yes. And that's, the, that's, that's what the public expects. And we need, if that requires legislation, let's get it through the House. 
Absolutely right. So, John Hayes, thank you very much indeed. Conservative MP for South Holland and the Deepings. Also, of course, a uh, member of the Common Sense Group, uh, a, a group of MPs uh, in the House of Commons and a few peers in the House of Lords as well uh, who are trying to get something done about this looming and continuing crisis because, as I said, Nigel Farage, who will hopefully get on the show tomorrow, uh, was uh, explaining in a video which went out last night that you can very clearly see what the French Navy is doing. And what it's not doing uh, is its job, because what the French Navy should do if there's a boat in distress in their waters is they should take the people from that boat, put them on their boat and take them back to France. That's what they should have done. But instead, what they did was they allowed the boat to continue. And in fact, they kind of pointed it in the direction, literally, of British waters and then just left it there knowing that there was no rescue boats anywhere nearby. If it hadn't been for Nigel Farage and a couple of other observing boats, they might well have actually not made it at all. And that, I'm afraid, if you're the French government, is shameful, isn't it? Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Good morning, Mr. President. Great job. Wow. Welcome. Mike Graham. Wow. The Sucker Punch DJ. Great hat. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You have your own republic, of course, over the United States of America. I cannot tell you how excited I am, uh, Mr. President, to have you on. Tell us where you are. Tell us what you're doing uh, and tell us what you're going to do for the rest of the day. Well, I've been very much cloned, you know. I'm up here in Scotland, you see. If you see me floating around in the States, don't believe it's fake news. Really? It's very bad. I'm in a secret little hideout bunker in my golf course. I'm the intercourse champion, as you know. I'm very good. <laughs> I've heard that. You yeah, know? so you up at Trump Turnbury, buddy, Charles. I was there at Turnbury, Christmas. turn right, at, and you're there, Turnbury. Lots of cameras, so if you do 51 miles an hour, you're going to get zapped. <laughs> so we're very much about disciplining you before you go out on the ninth and get a hole in one and a bruise in the other. Absolutely right. Now, listen, I think we can now see you in all your glory uh, uh, where you are up in uh, Trump Turnbury. Let's have a look and, uh, and see what the surroundings are. Uh, very, very wow. good to see you. I see you've got a nice hat this. on as well. You see, I still got it. Yours is more current, you see, but we still want to make America great again, don't we? <laughs> we really do. I can now reveal exclusively to the world that, of course, you are Lewis McLeod, the famous impressionist, the man of many voices, the man of a million voices, in fact. Um, I, I guess uh, we could carry on as Trump or carry on as Lewis McLeod. Well, I, I was just going to say, I'll just take this hat off, actually, because there you go. <laughs> I need these on because I can't hear you otherwise. It's hard, to wear, it's, it's hard to put the hat on without the old, uh, without the headphones, really, isn't it? I know, I should have really got a wig as well, but the, the wig I use for Trump is, is on loan from a brilliant wig maker called Alex Rouse. Right. And this wig is thousands of pounds. It's like a, you know, you, I've got to rent it. It's, just like, <laughs> it's like so expensive, but it's amazing. And it's made to my head and they, they, they tweak it and add bits and take bits away and move it. They've got the flappy bit of the side when right. he goes up the stairs in the, tra- in the plane. Yes. Now, of course, I mean, in the midst of all of this, we've got six weeks to go until the uh, till the election in America. So you're yeah. going to be a pretty busy guy, I would imagine. In addition, uh, you're part of Spitting Image. I know it's a bit secret at the moment, so we're not going to go into exactly what you're doing. But the new Spitting yeah. Image features you, Lewis McLeod. That's right. Yeah. Well, you see, I, I was so chuffed. Um, I don't know if it's been a kind of conflation of working on Radio 4. Uh, Matt Strong, the producer, has brought a fantastic uh, team of writers over. 
and um, I've worked with Steve Connolly in the past, who's brilliant. He's a brilliant director, Steve. Worked with him on uh, Rory Bremner and Bremner Bird and Fortune. Yes. So over the years, because I'd sort of been just that bit too late to get my audition reel into Giles Pilbro when it was the last series of Spitting Image. So I was kind of gutted that I didn't get it. And that was back in like 1995. Right. So I was really chuffed to get the chance to to even audition for it. So I'm I'm really I'm over I'm overjoyed. I can't believe it. <laughs> and I dare say you will be doing quite a bit of uh, of Donald Trump. Can you do Biden? Because Biden's tougher. I've been listening to Biden. I, there's that. Well, you know the the, the, the thing. About, I I just what what day is it? Where am I going with this? You know I, I you know like, listen. It's not that complicated. It's just he's got. I, there's a lot of there's a lot of voices that have preamble. Like Boris has got the prime yeah. minister. I got what you want. And see, 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 blah, blah, blah. You know, there's always a bit the thinking noises that they do. Well, Biden's got a bit of that going on as well. And he never knows where. The great thing about Biden is he never knows where he is, right? No. What, what, is where are you, Thursday? Joe? I, well, I'm somewhere. It's somewhere. 5 p.m. somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, very, very much sort of, uh, the, the, the sort of, they become their own kind of caricature the, the more you do them. I mean, I used to do Trump, and I, I, I used to sound a bit weirdly like Alec Baldwin in the film Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Yes. You know, yeah, well, you, you know, know that, I remember you, of... you, did a great, uh, you did a great thing around Parliament Square once, I seem to remember, um, yeah. where, where, where you, you actually looked a bit like Alec Baldwin as well. I it didn't really sound like Trump, but the reaction. It's just one of these characters. You put the wig on and everything. You put the, you got the suit and the badge and everything, and you know. And it's so I, I sort of uh, matured into the voice a wee bit, you know. Yes. It did, I, I listened to early Dead Ringers that I was on, and the it, it doesn't sound like him. Right. Really. But it's also he almost. More than anything. But he almost now does an impersonation of himself, doesn't he? Because when he does that whole kind of, you know, it's fake news, yeah. and he just fake lets it kind of. Well, make... that's right. This that sort of messianic yeah. thing, the wobble. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, but the sincere guy, you know, the very serious guy is the one I sort of latched onto. Because when you do the shouty one, it's it's kind of high. He's got quite a, a, a sort of range of voice. Trump, he's, he, he kind of goes right the way up. But he's, but the sort of guy down here, I find easier for me. And it's sort of what he does a lot, you know. Yeah, it's brilliant. On it, and man. I mean, watching Boris yesterday, Prime Minister's Questions, he did a lot of umming and eyeing and mmm. And uh, he wasn't quite sure how to deal with Angela Rayner, which I thought I thought it'd be more dangerous for him in a way than Keir Starmer. I mean, I don't even, I'm not even sure if he could ever do Sir Keir Starmer because he's so boring. Uh, I'll tell you what, Duncan Wisby does a brilliant Keir. And uh, he's, uh, it's when you see, because my colleagues that were pals and me, when you see somebody, one of your mates doing it, and you think, I'll oh, just no bother with that one, you know? It's right. like, uh, Cameron, you know, he was he was tough for all of us. I yes. know, I know that Can you do Cameron? Do. Give us a bit of Cameron. No, not really. I, I, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who I sound like, but it's, uh, it's just it's quite generic. But he's a really tough one. I think, uh, again, Duncan's got a belter, and so is Rory. Bremner's got a belter of a uh, Cameron voice. It's, yeah. it's really like him. But right. I, I've sort of, I mean, I, I, a few of the, 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 the ministers, I, I mean, I, I have a go at... Um, you know, Rishi Sunak mm. and that sort of deeply earnest sort of and slight <laughs> lisp. But I, I, I mean, I've always been kind of interested in the, in the in the sort of correspondence around about them for some reason. I sort of I've sort of found myself landing on that more. You know, Andrew Neil, people like that. Yes. Know. What about uh, Ian Blackford? Can you do him? He seems to be the thorn in the side of uh, of almost everybody. 
Well, again, on ringers, you're asking me to do other ones I don't do. Well, no, <laughs> he's he's the guy. Uh, Blackford's again, Duncan. You should have got, we should have got Duncan on this one. But Blackford, no, I know. It's, uh, I don't actually do that many politicians, bizarrely. I mean, I, I've got uh, there's Alex Salmon that I used to do quite a lot. Oh, in, that's uh, great. And uh, and uh, both you know both both parties. Right. And uh, see you down at Musselburgh. Uh, Musselburgh, that's it, uh, uh, hippies and all that uh, troublemaking, <laughs> you know, all that football shenanigans. Yes, but I, so I, I, I'm just kidding. I, I have a hand, but I found out that I could do Mark Kermode just recently. Oh, I was yes. just, you know, tinkering and I thought, oh, that's not bad. And uh, we ended up getting him on the programme. Uh, but aye, it's it's all your competitors that I do. <laughs> yeah, but that's fine. That's okay. Well, I mean, you can do me if you want, but you maybe have not have enough time to study me. But well, I, I'm told by your brother Donald, you can do him. Aye, that's right, Donald. Aye, well, he's he's in there, isn't he? Aye, Donald say. And he's got genuine reason to be raging. I mean, it's, well, he hasn't it's made any money for about six months, has he? And with his aye. lifestyle, I don't know how he's getting by. To be honest. It's aye, it's been pretty pretty hairy up here in Scotland, certainly around the license trade and right. what's going to happen next. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Do you do any royals at all? Oh, you're breaking up. You're breaking up there. Do you do any royals? Oh yes, Andrew. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> uh, I don't party. I I haven't partied. I don't really know what partying is. I mean, I can part my hair, but I really I I don't. Do you uh, do you sweat, uh, Your Royal Highness? I, I don't sweat. Uh, it's sweat, sweaty Betty. I know all of these <laughs> phrases, but really they don't apply to me. Hang on, I'm absolutely ringing. Somebody's, <laughs> somebody's poured Evian in my armpit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a great uh, thing, talent to have, Lewis, but have you found it in any way kind of um, uh, changing or di more difficult now in these, in these very woke times where you're not really supposed to make fun of anyone unless you do it I, in a particular you, way? You've got to constantly, well, exactly, Mike, you've got to really watch what you're saying. It's very, uh, but then uh, if, I mean, Trump's the, the hardest one, you know, mm. because even when you're satirizing Trump, uh, you could sort of find yourself in that Trump ballpark. And actually, you've got to be careful because, uh, you know, it, it, it causes, he's so divisive. And, yes. You know, so, I mean, actually, we just posted up a thing on Twitter yesterday where I put, um, I made him ash from Alien, you know, where I put, so the, the, there's a scene where his head's on the table. <laughs> and, you know, I've just turned him into Trump. And you've got Sigourney <laughs> Weaver going, what was your secret order 937? You read it. You voted. I thought it was clear. <laughs> so... <laughs> so uh, you put Trump in weird situations. Yes, it's, it's not that's, bad. I that's mean, very funny. You know, and so I was thinking, well, what else could you put him in? And it's just like you get you get constant running gags with him, which is great. Right. Boris, uh, well, obviously, I mean, how dare, uh, you know, uh, Cameron criticise me you know, for, for missing five Cobras. I was there on time every day at London Zoo. Uh, you know, he he's I, I make him a cartoon just right. because he's got, he does those things. He's got that. Okay, well, uh, but he's easier in a way because uh, because he the, kind of does of, it for himself doesn't he like you said exactly aye he does you know the, the, that's the thing they're, they're, they're a gift some of them but of late they've been quite hard to, to kind of cherry pick the best ones well it's they're, like they're, when people are actually so dull, aren't they? Well, well it's when people also when they say satire is actually genuinely dead because you couldn't mm. actually make up what's really going on the real world oh. is actually more bizarre than anything you could create you know around oh. it yeah, I, I've, I've been enjoying watching 
the news, obviously, um, the, the the late night news night. Kirsty Walk makes me laugh. Yeah, Kirsty Walk. Because you were doing Kirsty Walk. If you've noticed with Kirsty Walk, and she she sort of transcends language now. She sort of speaks her own sort of dictum and dictum. She's getting a mumble, and then she grabs her glasses, and that's when you get clarity. Yeah, she's a great character for anybody that's doing voices. I think Kirsty Walk. It's probably she's never to be you're never to be challenged, Kirsty. You can never be challenged. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. I've got in mind just mumbling and just so look at that. I'm sort of doing something quite robust. But actually, it's only when I put the glasses on. It's like it's like uh, Kenny Everett's ass when it, in that Rod Stewart sketch. They get, she get bigger and bigger every time she, she lunges for the glasses. Tom Bradby's another one, ITV. Yeah. They're, all, they're all quite eccentric. On, on, well, they are. What about Peston? I mean, Peston's oh. a good one, isn't he? Can you do Peston? He's got a pause. He's getting longer. And and yeah, when it comes back to Bradby, it's like he shouldn't be doing the news. It's like he's got, he's got that face. It's like, I can't, can't believe this. And he always thinks, he'll do things like this. He'll go, right, look, now, okay. <laughs> And he'll do this. He'll go, well, Persia. He hasn't had any, he hasn't had any sleep for about three months, has he? Oh, he's just suffering <laughs> from insomnia, I think. That's it. He's got that sort of, what's going on? Even at the end of the news, when we, was it, we used to call it the happy donkey story. Yeah. You get the fluffy story at the end. Right. <laughs> that does not make him laugh. Right. He's almost, he did it the other night there, and it was almost like he wanted to curl up his script and fling it in the bin, right. shaking his head and miming what? You know what's going on here, you know? Exactly right. What about the football and, and the sort of sporty aspects of life? Do you do any of them? Uh, I used to. I mean, I, well, I mean, I've, I've talked sport. I mean, I've been I've been doing lots of VOs uh, over the years. Yes. Talk and uh, selling the shows, putting the, putting out there. McCoist was one of the ones I, de- you know, definitely, definitely so superb. You know, we always used to sort of start by saying definitely so, definitely yeah. so superb. Ali, yeah. Ali, have you heard this story before? Ali, uh, yeah, every time I, I, he hears I, I, the same story, he laughs the same way. Superb, absolutely. And you know, obviously, you know, you've got uh, like Man United, well, great, absolutely. So, Alex, wow, <laughs> right then. And uh, aye, there was a few of them, Brian Loud, although there was a few correspondents. We had a guy up there, Jerry McNee in Scotland, we used to have, right. they used to say, Jerry McNee, the voice of a football. Yes, <laughs> what about Jim? What you can do, Jim White, probably, because he does, uh, he used to do SCB. Jim White, well, that's that is really something. Let's go to the phone line, that's super duper, marvelous. That's a great no. <laughs> Sensational. Sensational. I mean, really? That 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 really that's that's something else, isn't it? Yeah, now we're mean, now actually simulcasting because Jim White's actually in the studio behind me, right? Broadcasting as Jim White. You're now broadcasting <laughs> as Jim White as well. It'd be great. Well, maybe let's see if we can lip sync Jim White. Jim White, super duper. <laughs> You'll love that. It's brilliant stuff. Listen, when is spitting image on? When's the first one going um, out? From from what I'm told, it's October, early October. I think it might be the third of October, maybe. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I was, it's really exciting, and it's a brilliant team of people. They've got Jess Robinson, Deborah Stevenson, Luke Kempner, Matt Ford, Billy West, big legend from America. Apparently, is um, doing some stuff. I, I mean, it's just a, a really brilliant team of people, and the production behind it's massive. You got Avalon doing great things. So fingers crossed, it's going to be. A, a success for everybody. Fantastic. Well, listen, I wish, you, I, I wish you luck. I'm sure you won't need it. I've put, As you can see, I've put the hat on. So can you give us, President, Mr. President, can you give us a farewell message and a good luck message, please? I want to say this to the people of the world. As one hockey stick said to the other, let's get the puck out of here. <laughs> It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, let's go over now, though, to LaDonna Harvey, uh, who's over in San Diego, California, for us, and she'll give us the latest from her part of the world on what's going on with coronavirus and curfews and people going out and people staying out and people infecting one another. LaDonna, very good morning to you. Well, good morning to you, too. Yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're seeing, strangely, in the state of California, we've seen fewer cases. Mm. Uh, we've seen trending downward. In San Diego, we've managed to trend upward. Ah. We have this little institution called San Diego State University, and as soon as those college kids got anywhere near that college campus, they started the and they have have thrown us potentially into more lockdowns singly, by themselves. It's fabulous. Well, it's really interesting because all the university towns here have been put on sort of amber alert. But the thing that I don't get is why would the authorities not realise that if you do have a, a university town and you do have loads of people coming into the university, then that's very likely to happen. You just deal with it, don't you? Well, one would think, um, you know, it, they've, they've decided uh, that they're going to test every kid who's living on campus. But the thing is, it's not the kids who are living on campus. It's the kids who live off campus who are getting away with, you know, having parties yes. on campus. They've actually locked it down pretty well. Um, they've thrown out some kids who have who have gotten together and when they shouldn't have, uh, and that's kind of put the fear of God into into the into the uh, into the university. Yes, but that's just on campus, and mm. there are thousands who live off campus. Right, and that'll be the case in almost every university town, every every town in America that's got a university, won't it? Well, it will. And, you know, the, I, I suppose the one upshot to it is college kids do not seem to be as a whole as affected as older populations. The problem is these kids go home yeah. and they affect their families. We had a, a wedding in Maine that, I guess, spawned something like 285 coronavirus cases. Right. And it was just it, the most bizarre thing. Yeah. 
Well, spring break, I think, had a similar effect, only even a lot worse than that, probably by a factor of 10, didn't it? When everybody, I remember seeing, I think I've told you this before, I remember seeing a, a map of all the planes that left Florida to go back to different states in America, and it basically went to every single one. Right. Uh, yeah. And there's a very big concern that that will happen again in the spring. Of course, we're thinking way ahead. Right. But already there are universities up in the north. Uh, University of Wisconsin is one of them that has canceled spring break, said, nope, you don't get the time off. You're right. just going to keep going because we're not doing this. Yes, well, I guess they'll have to do that, really. The big sort of political story um, today, certainly, and yesterday, seems to be Joe Biden weighing into the Brexit deal, uh, particularly where it concerns Northern Ireland, the Good Friday Agreement, tweeting out that he can't allow and won't allow the Good Friday Agreement that brought peace to Northern Ireland to become a casualty of Brexit. Hasn't made him terribly popular here. Um, I imagine it hasn't. Uh, I, I think that any time especially in, a, in an election year, when you start nosing into other people's politics, you're making a big mistake. Right. It won't do anything to him here, uh, but it could hurt him later if he is to become president and then, you know, need to negotiate contracts and treaties, etc. cetera. Uh, there's going to be a little bit of ill will left over. Well, I think there will be. Kate Hoey, who comes on this show quite a bit, former Labour MP, now a Labour peer in the House of Lords. She says perhaps Joe Biden would like to condemn the many fundraising events Democrat politicians attended where the money was raised to help buy Semtex and guns for the IRA to kill innocent UK citizens. Ouch. Uh, yeah, that, that's a, that smarts a little. I mean, you know, one would hope that Brexit would not affect the Good Friday Agreement, I, I would suppose. I mean, it's an agreement. You made it. Right. Hopefully you stick to it. Well, quite. Um, Although they're not sticking to the other agreement, so you never know. But the point is that it's not about the Good Friday Agreement. It's about an agreement that was made a very long time ago uh, when things were very different. So, I mean, if something had to change, there could be parts of it that could change. Well, I, 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 so here's the thing. I don't know enough about it. All I know is that our politicians are really mouthing off about it, and it's really making you guys unhappy. Yes. And I can see why. Absolutely I, I, right. I, I, and, and, and how is the and how is the Donald this week? What sort of a week is he having? I it's been a little bit of a rocky week. He's been you know kind of uh, having to deal with the Bob Woodward book and some some of the backlash from that. And depending on which interview you listen to him in, he has either you know he either downplayed the coronavirus because he didn't want people to panic, or he 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 overblow you know he was overblown by him. Uh, in order to get control of it. So, you know, he's doing Donald Trump the way that Donald Trump does. Yes, and, and indeed. And I ask you this question every single time we talk to each other. When's the first debate going to be? So the first debate, I believe, is on September 29th. Hold okay. on, I will double check. That's not far uh, away, is it? That's like next week. It is next week. Uh, there's another one on my birthday on October 22nd. I think they have three debates that are scheduled one that was canceled on a, on a college campus because they just don't want college kids right. gathering for any reason. And I think we all know why now. Uh, so, so yeah, we're going to start seeing those debates. And I have a feeling they are going to be ugly because these two guys are bruisers. Right. They really are. And I guess that the, 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 the vice presidential debates will be quite tasty if they're going to have any of those as well. There's going to be one. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm less I, – fewer fireworks, I believe – in that um, right. Kamala Harris is not a she's not an incendiary person and neither is Mike Pence. Right. You know, they're both pretty, pretty low key politicians. Um, if it if it gets ugly and it, I mean, it will. Uh, it's not going to be the fireworks that we'll see in a presidential debate. Not even close. It'll no. be boring next. 
<laughs> and what about the, the postal voting? Because I understand that started in some parts uh, of, of southern states anyway. Uh, do you ever find out anything about that or do you have to wait until the night? Well, you know, you kind of have to wait until the night. Naturally, it's because of so many mail-in ballots. The way that it works is when you mail in the ballot, they can't open it until the polls close. Mm. So polls will be open. If you want to vote in person, you can. Uh, but they can't open them and they can't verify them until the polls close, which means we are going to be weeks out of learning. I mean, unless this is just an absolute blowout mm. on one side to the other, and I don't think it's going to be. I don't think, I think it will be, no. Be, no, I think it's going to be very close. Mm. Um, it's going to be weeks, and I would even imagine there are going to be a lot of lawsuits. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be a terrible election. Yeah. Dirty, dirty pool doesn't begin to uh, to cover it, really, does it? Not at all. I've already been told that I can't take vacation until the end of November. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, no, maybe, maybe you get your birthday off. You never know. Uh, no, no, I no, can't have my sorry. birthday off. Okay. Well, hopefully, <laughs> listen, we'll, we'll be doing uh, an all-nighter, so you'll have to join us, hopefully, uh, on that uh, on that day when the election night actually is on. You'll have to, go, you'll have to be on our oh. overnight show. Absolutely. Not a problem. Look forward to it. LaDonna, thank you very much indeed. LaDonna Harvey reporting in uh, from the US of A uh, with the latest on the Trump-Biden um, fight. And it is going to be a fight. Make no mistake. She's absolutely right to say uh, that it won't probably end uh, on election night. It will probably r rattle on for a few more days and possibly weeks afterwards. You might remember the Bush-Gore uh, scenario where uh, nobody was quite sure who won Florida for quite some time. It took a couple of days until they could actually declare um, President Bush the winner because uh, they thought Gore had won it at one point. So it's going to be very exciting. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. We're going to talk now, though, to Kristin Booneman, Assistant Director of the Florence Nightingale Museum, because it's time for our homeschooling segment, uh, despite the fact that most of your kids have now gone back to school, although some of them might have been sent home again already, so you might be back to homeschooling. Uh, we're keeping the homeschooling section because we think it really, really uh, adds something to the show. We like to do it uh, because we learn things about either sometimes people or things that we didn't know uh, enough about. Let's talk about Florence Nightingale right now. Kristin, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. I must admit, I didn't know there was a Florence Nightingale Museum. Where is that? Yes, we're a very small independent museum. We're in the grounds of St. Thomas Hospital, so central London. Oh, really? So not, very, so not very far away from, from us, because we're just around the corner from yeah. Guy's, which is, you know, uh, London Bridge. So, so what's in the Florence Nightingale Museum? What sorts of things do you have there? Yes, the Florence Nightingale Museum is the home of the so-called Nightingalia, which is the collection around possessions um, from Florence Nightingale and from her time. So some of the um, key highlight objects in our museum are, for example, her famous lamp. Yes. You know, she's known as the, the lady with the lamp. She so is. we have her lamp in the museum. Um, we have personal belongings, letters, um, as well as um her famous pet owl athena but also uh, medical items her medicine chest and um, the very first nurse uniform yes and of course she sort of is i suppose i don't think it's too strong to say that she is the patron saint of nursing really isn't she no absolutely it's it's fair to say that she is the most famous nurse around the world she's the mother of nursing the pioneer of of modern um health care 
And this year is actually her 200th anniversary. It's her bicentenary. Okay. And um, it coincides with the International Year of the Nurse and Midwife. Right. And what a year for nursing it has been, because, of course, we've oh, had yeah. the world's worst coronavirus uh, outbreak and pandemic hitting the entire globe. And, and nursing has really come to the fore as, as a uh, not just a, 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 a sort of a, a calling, but actually a life-saving endeavour for an awful lot of people. Oh, absolutely. I think it's fair to say never has her legacy and, and her uh, teachings brought more relevant than, than now. I think, you know, the importance of good nursing and health care we've seen in the last couple of months, but um, also issues around infection control. She was the first one to advocate to, to wash your hands. And I think we can all say we washed our hands very rigorously over the past yes, few months. Yes, very much so. And she was very much ahead of her time, wasn't she? She was only 16 when she decided to enter or said that she had a calling uh, for the nursing profession. And at that time, nursing wasn't particularly uh, well looked upon, was it? No, that's absolutely right. Um, when Florence grew up in Victorian England, girls were not allowed to go to school. The idea was if you overeducate young women, their brains overload, they get nervous. Mm. Um, however, Florence was homeschooled. Um, their father was of uh, the opinion that his daughter should receive what was called a gentleman's education. And um, she loved learning, reading, writing, um, and science. And very early on in her mid-teens expressed the desire to, to become a nurse. She wanted to become a nurse. Mm. And it was a bit of an outcry at the time because not just was she expected not to work at all and just to become a mother and a wife, nursing was not seen as a well-regarded um, profession at the time just because of the intimacy of the profession you're feeding you're caring um, for other people so yes. it was not seen appropriate for someone like Florence right and it's probably pretty dangerous uh, occupation particularly when she went to the Crimean War um, to tend to the wounded yes absolutely um, she insisted that she wants to become a nurse until her family finally gave in when she was 30 years old and um, she decided to to join to the Crimean War, go out to the Crimea mm. and care for the British soldiers at Scutari Hospital, which made her famous yeah. as the Lady with the Lamb. It must have been pretty brutal out there because, you know, what we know of, uh, of, of wars in those times was that, you know, there were some pretty awful injuries that you couldn't really do much about. You know, whereas nowadays you've got all sorts of modern techniques that you could save people's limbs. You can reattach them in some ways. You can give people prosthetic limbs. It must have been a really horrible place to be. Oh, absolutely. I think it's fair to say it was probably quite a shock for her mm. um, arriving at Scutari Hospital. No sanitation, um, no no care for soldiers, no nurses. She actually was the one who brought the nurses in. And um, apparently, um, she said, you could smell Scutari Hospital from a, a two-day journey away. Right. Um, that's how bad the conditions were at Scutari Hospital. Mm. And back at the time, the idea was... Um, the more blood on a surgeon's apron, the more experience he has. So the more blood, the better. Whereas she was very much of the uh, uh, idea that cleanliness and hygiene would be more important. Yes. And when she was there, I mean, presumably she would have been one of the few women um, who was actually in that particular hospital and in that, in that particular sort of battle zone. Yes, she arrived with 38 other nurses and they were the... Um, it was the first time that um, doctors were working alongside women and nurses. So there was definitely a lot of tension. Um, 
the doctors refusing to working with women and Florence being a woman who was not used to being told no. So there was a lot of friction, but she continued to insist until they finally let her join the teams and she, until she was eventually even allowed to join surgeries and observe surgeries to hold the soldier's hands because back then um, no anesthesia was was uh, invented yet. So if you had your leg amputated, amputated this would be uh, quite a horrific experience. Yes, absolutely right. And how long was she out there for? And, and, and was she ever in any proper sort of real danger while she was there? Um, she was out there for quite a few years. She, she was the last one to leave Scutari Hospital mm. at the end of the war. Um, while she was there, she actually contracted a Crimean fever, which we know now as brucellosis. And she continued to suffer from poor health for the rest of her life afterwards. She was housed and bed bound for the rest of her life until she died when she was 90 years old. Wow. So she had a pretty long uh, innings, but she never married. She always turned everybody's proposals down. She had plenty, apparently. Yes, she had three proposals. She turned them all down. Um, she said every woman can get married, but it takes an exceptional woman to become a nurse. And she thought if she gets married, she wouldn't be able to follow her, her passion and her calling as a nurse anymore. Right. And so the museum itself, uh, Kristin, is it open every day? Is it? Uh, do you need to make an appointment to get in? Is it that small? Um, due to the coronavirus, we had to make a few adjustments around operational hours, but we're open Thursday to Sunday okay. from nine uh, from 10 a.m. to 5. And um, you need to book tickets online on our website, florencenightingale.co.uk. Okay, and you can hear her voice, I'm told, on YouTube, if you look yes, carefully. Yes, that's correct. So we also have a voice recording at the museum. Right. Um, that's pretty Because cool. she was so famous at the time, she was one of the few people who had um, the pleasure of having her, her voice recorded. Wow. It's not, it's, a, it's a, a piece of history. It's probably not brilliant quality, but we'll perhaps have a listen to it later on. Thank you very much indeed. Kristen Booneman there, uh, coming to us from the Florence Nightingale Museum. Uh, in St Thomas's Hospital uh, right here in central London. Thank you very much indeed. That's your homeschooling uh, knowledge for the day. So I bet you now know more about Florence Nightingale than you did before uh, you started listening to that. We'll have more homeschooling for you tomorrow, of course. And as ever, uh, if you've got any ideas that you want us to do, uh, by all means, let us know. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. 
Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.